You're listening to Cross Section, the podcast of the Summit View Church of Christ. Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord Good morning. Welcome to those of you who are visiting with us. We're glad that you're here uh, with us today. May God bless you as we worship together and as we study His Word. As I was thinking about what I might uh, teach on this morning, um, I thought it'd be a good opportunity to just be open and honest with you and uh, let you know that I love public speaking. (laughs) I do. Um, And I'm very grateful to be able to today. I woke up feeling lousy, uh, just like uh, a lot of days, a little worse this morning. And God has blessed me with energy uh, here in the last hour and a half or so. I'm feeling pretty good at the moment. So uh, thank you for your prayers. Um, I appreciate so much uh, the um, courage and the sacrifice that uh, many of those who lead in our worship uh, show, they're not, you know, uh, trained in professional public speakers, and yet they speak well, and Colin uh, did this morning too. Uh, and he reminded us that uh, Jesus went to where he did not want to go and did what he did not want to do, and he did that for us. And uh, we are greatly, greatly blessed. Thank you, Colin, uh, for, uh, for that good thought. Really appreciate it. On my trip to Memphis in July, uh, during my, uh, my study break there, I drove with my son Isaac to Springfield, Missouri. He was connecting with grandparents that he would spend a couple days with, and I was there to visit the Sunset Church of Christ, Springfield, Missouri. It's not a flashy church. It doesn't run with all the latest worship trends. It doesn't push the limits of what's acceptable in uh, the church's assembly. It's just a normal church. I could have visited any of a thousand other churches just like it, but there was one thing that made this church stand apart. It's the reason that I went to visit it and not another. That congregation has done what few churches ever dream of doing and even fewer ever actually do. That congregation, the believers there, planted three other churches in their city. Unfortunately, the third church plant failed. Um, Planting a church is hard. The statistics say that most new churches don't survive five years. But Sunset beat the odds. Two out of the three churches they planted not only survived, but thrived. And now one of those churches is just beginning to dream about planting another church of its own, which would make it a parent church. So I got to visit the Sunset Church, the the mother church to these other uh, two, and I also got to visit the two thriving church plants, the Union Hill Church of Christ and the Brookline Church of Christ. And you can see on the map behind me where those uh, are located uh, here as we go through the lesson. So here's their story, just the short version. 25 years ago, the Sunset Church had about 600 people, God bless them, Too many for their building. I got to go inside their building. You couldn't fit 600 people in there. They had a couple of services, and they were thinking, do we need to go to three, four services? What do we need to do? There wasn't space for parking even. So in 2000, after several years of dreaming, planning, praying, and preparing, they sent out, I think it was about 75 people to start the Union Hill Church, and that new church flourished. Pre-COVID, and we always have to talk about numbers uh, in churches as pre-COVID right now because things haven't stabilized yet to where 
all the churches know how many people they have. So pre-COVID, Union Hill was about 400 people strong. It grew from 75 to 400. God blessed the Sunset Church just as he was blessing the Union Hill Church. They sent out 75 people. You would think they would get smaller, but instead of getting smaller, they grew. They grew from 600, dropping down to about 525, to 800 people. And so instead of getting smaller, they got bigger. It was still too many people for their building. So in 2006, after more planning and prayer and preparation, they sent out about 150 people this time to launch the Brookline Church. And it flourished. Pre-COVID, Brookline had about 300 people. After that, Sunset was still a little too large, so they started a third congregation. That one didn't go so well, and the Sunset Church itself had some struggles too, and they have, they have since uh, dropped down to about 500 people in their membership, and they've stabilized there, and they're doing well today. So do the math with me here. They started with one church of about 600. Today they have three churches. One is 500, another is 400, another is 300. For a total of about 1,200 believers. And roughly half of those are new believers, new followers of Jesus, most of whom came to Christ in those two new churches, though some came to Christ in the parent church. And so by planting these two healthy new churches, that one parent congregation effectively doubled in size. So when I heard that story, what I wanted to know as I was visiting with the ministers at those churches wasn't it was not, how can we plant a church too? That wasn't really my goal. I don't know if that's what God has called us to at this time, though uh, it would be great if he would in the future. But we're probably not ready for that at this time, at least not the way they did it. So what I wanted to know was, what brought 600 people to Christ? In this day and age, we call this a post-Christian age. There's a lot of... Uh, animosity toward the church and a lot of questioning about Christianity. What drew these 600 people in and convicted their hearts and minds? And the answer was simple as it turned out. The gospel. The good news of Jesus brought these people in and convicted their hearts and, and turned their lives toward God. It was the gospel. So, okay, that makes sense to me. I was born and raised in the church. I've been in the church all my life. I understand the language of the church. You talk about gospel. I know what that means. I'm comfortable with that. But what does that mean to somebody outside the church? What did they see? What draws them to Jesus? And here's why that question matters to me. I have a couple of people who are not present with us today or or likely to be online with us, although if they are, praise God, who are important to me, and I, I want to see them follow Jesus. And I think they might be open, open to following Jesus at some point. At least I'm praying they will be, and I've, I've seen little hints that I think they might be. I know they believe in God, and so they and the church have that in common already. We, we have some common ground with them. 
But I want to understand how to, how to plant seeds of faith in their lives, how to water those, how to cultivate in them the deep joy and hope that you and I have in Jesus, or else we wouldn't be here today or, or online with the church today. I want, I want to know how to cultivate in them the, the joy and hope that would move them to follow Jesus, which would in turn transform their lives. But how do you communicate with someone what is so profound and beautiful and hopeful about the good news of Jesus? What do, you, what do you say to them? What do you talk about? And frankly, I've had hard days sometimes, especially recently, because I'm still sick, although I'm feeling good at the moment. And having some way to express my hope in Jesus would help me too when I'm just not feeling good or when I'm discouraged or when I'm lonely or when I'm just sad or when I kind of lose my way. And maybe it would help you too to be able to explain in your own mind or to a friend why we follow Jesus, why we have so much joy and hope in Him. So when I was reading from the book of Acts this week and came to the, the first sermon that we have recorded in Acts by the Apostle Paul, it struck me, there it is. That's what I've been looking for. There's our hope in Jesus, packed into what is a, a roughly five-minute, very likely condensed version of Paul's evangelistic sermon in the city of Pisidian Antioch. I want us to read the whole lesson. It's, it's the condensed version, I think. His was, I mean, the original was probably longer, but Luke's given us the best parts. I want us to read the whole thing in order to feel the impact of the very last verse. That last verse is what first caught my attention and made me say, wait a second. Just like with those church plants and all their new believers, how did this happen? All the last verse says is this. It's Acts 13, verse 52. And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. The disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. That's it. It's great. But in the context of the whole story, that is a powerful statement. Let me show you what I mean. And let's begin reading in verse 13. Acts chapter 13, verse 13. From Paphos, Paul and his companions sailed to Perga in Pamphylia, where John left them to return to Jerusalem. From Perga, they went on to Pisidian Antioch. On the Sabbath, they entered the synagogue and sat down. After the reading from the law and the prophets, the leaders of the synagogue sent word to them, saying, Brothers, if you have a word of exhortation for the people, please speak. Standing up, Paul motioned with his hand and said, Fellow Israelites and you Gentiles who worship God, listen to me. The God of the people of Israel chose our ancestors. He made the people prosper during their stay in Egypt. With mighty power, he led them out of that country. For about 40 years, he endured their conduct in the wilderness. And he overthrew seven nations in Canaan, giving their land to his people as their inheritance. All this took about 450 years. I'll pause there for just a second. Paul, with Barnabas, is on his first missionary journey, and they come to Pisidian 
Antioch, an ancient city a little west of what today is central Turkey. Paul and Barnabas, being Jews, go to worship uh, with other Jews at the synagogue, naturally. There on the Sabbath, there is no church in this city yet that we know of. And maybe somebody in the synagogue found out they were teachers because the leaders of the synagogue asked Paul and Barnabas if they might like to speak to the congregation. Paul, for his part, had been educated in the Jewish law in Jerusalem. He was a trained rabbi, basically, and he does want to speak, as it turns out. And so here's what he said, and let's pick up there in the middle of verse 20. After this, so after those 450 years, as God blessed Israel, God gave them judges until the time of Samuel the prophet. Then the people asked for a king, and he gave them Saul, son of Kish, of the tribe of Benjamin, who ruled 40 years. After removing Saul, he made David their king. God testified concerning him, I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He will do everything I want him to do. So Paul is recounting Israel's history here, but he tells so much more than history. He's reminding the people of the great things God had done for Israel over the centuries. He's talking really about God. God chose Israel. God blessed Israel. God led Israel out of Egypt and gave them the land of Canaan. God gave them leaders, gave them their first king, Saul. When Saul didn't do so well, God removed him and uh, put David on the throne, a better king. And then from David, Paul makes a direct connection to one of David's descendants, Jesus, and to the good news of our faith in Jesus. And so verse 23 From this man, David's descendants, God has brought to Israel the Savior Jesus, as he promised. Before the coming of Jesus, John preached repentance and baptism to all the people of Israel. As John was completing his work, he said, Who do you suppose I am? I am not the one you're looking for, but there is one coming after me whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. Fellow children of Abraham and you God-fearing Gentiles, It is to us that this message of salvation has been sent. The people of Jerusalem and their rulers did not recognize Jesus, yet in condemning him they fulfilled the words of the prophets that are read every Sabbath. Though they found no proper ground for a death sentence, they asked Pilate to have him executed. When they had carried out all that was written about him, they took him down from the cross and laid him in a tomb. But God raised him from the dead, and for many days he was seen by those who had traveled with him from Galilee to Jerusalem. They are now his witnesses to our people. We tell you the good news. What God promised our ancestors, he has fulfilled for us, their children, by raising up Jesus. As it is written in the second psalm, you are my son, today I have become your father. God raised him from the dead so that he will never be subject to decay. As God has said, I will give you the holy and sure blessings promised to David. So it is also stated elsewhere, you will not let your holy one see decay. Now when David had served God's purpose in his own generation, he fell asleep. He was buried with his ancestors and his body decayed. But the one whom God raised from the dead did not see decay. Therefore, my friends, I want you to know that through Jesus, The forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. 
Through him, everyone who believes is set free from every sin, a justification you were not able to obtain under the law of Moses. Take care that what the prophets have said does not happen to you. Look, you scoffers, wonder and perish, for I am going to do something in your days that you would never believe, even if someone told you. Having reminded the people of what God had done for Israel in ancient times, Paul now shares what God has done for his people recently through Jesus. He focuses on three main themes here, and all of them are centered around God. First, in ancient times, God made a promise. It was a promise to bless the world through the nation of Israel. God made this promise to Abraham uh, and promised to bless the world through Abraham's descendants. That promise comes up in Genesis 12, verses 2 and 3. God would bless his descendants in order to bless the whole world through them. And then when Israel stumbled in its, in its faith century after century, sometimes it was faithful, sometimes it wasn't, God promised to send one person whom the Jews called the Messiah or the Christ, who uh, would be God's light to bring hope and salvation to both Israel and the world. A key verse in that promise is Isaiah 42, verses 6 and 7. God had made a promise. Paul's second theme here is that God was now fulfilling that promise. That's why Paul connects the story of Jesus' death and resurrection to what David wrote in Psalm 16:10, where he writes that God will not let his Holy One see decay. It sounds like David is talking about himself there, but that promise was not fulfilled in David, who died and was buried, but in his descendant, Jesus, who was raised from the dead, whose body did not decay. The resurrection of Jesus from the dead, never to die again, is the clinching evidence that Jesus is God's Messiah through whom God saves the world. He's the one who came in fulfillment of the prophecy of John the Baptist, as Paul mentions, and who continued uh, to, bring, uh, to call people to repentance and baptism and who brought forgiveness of sins. And so in Jesus, Paul says, God offers forgiveness of sins to everyone who believes in him. A forgiveness that goes deeper, Paul says, than what the law of Moses could provide. And forgiveness of sins means, uh, first of all, that I'm not guilty anymore of the wrongs that I've done against God and against other people. But it means more than that, too. It means that in Jesus, I who have offended God, my creator, by those wrongs, now that they have been wiped away, I am now reconciled to God who becomes more than just my God. He takes me as his child and he becomes my excellent father. And having been reconciled to God through Jesus, I now belong in God's family, in God's kingdom, in God's plan to destroy death forever and raise the dead to eternal life. And I belong in God's plan to make all things new. I get to share in all of that now and forever. And so I have hope today in being forgiven and belonging to God. And I have hope tomorrow because of the resurrection of Jesus that proves that there is life after death. God fulfilled his promise. He has blessed the world through his promise. And all of this is the result. 
Paul's third theme. God has chosen both Jews and Gentiles to share in this promise in Jesus. God has chosen both Jews and Gentiles to share in this promise. So in verse 16, as Paul begins to speak to the synagogue, he says, uh, to begin with, he says, fellow Israelites and you Gentiles who worship God, listen to me, which tells us that there were uh, both Jews and non-Jews present in the synagogue that day. And those non-Jews were people who had not decided to become Jews themselves, but who worshiped the God of the Jews. And that's why they were gathered there with the synagogue that day. Verse 26, Paul says, fellow children of Abraham, meaning Israelites, Jews, and you God-fearing Gentiles. It is to us that this message of salvation has been sent. And so Paul says the message of salvation through Jesus is for both Jews and Gentiles, for anyone who seeks God. And so Paul says in verse 32, we tell you the good news, what God promised our ancestors, he has fulfilled for us their children by raising up Jesus. And this promise is not just for Israelites or for people who are already close to God, but for the whole world, for everyone who believes, Paul says in verse 39. And this is the good news, that God promised that he would bless the world and send a Savior, and God did it. He has now fulfilled that promise, and through the Savior, both Jews and Gentiles are chosen to share in that promise through faith in Jesus. That was Paul's message. Now, here's how the people responded to that message. Verse 42, it goes really well, and then it goes poorly. As Paul and Barnabas were leaving the synagogue, the people invited them to speak further about these things on the next Sabbath. When the congregation was dismissed, many of the Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas, who talked with them and urged them to continue in the grace of God. On the next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. When the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy. They began to contradict what Paul was saying and heaped abuse on him. Then Paul and Barnabas answered them boldly, We had to speak the word of God to you first. Since you reject it and do not consider yourselves worthy of eternal life, we now turn to the Gentiles. For this is what the Lord has commanded us. I have made you a light for the Gentiles that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. When the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and honored the word of the Lord. And all who were appointed for eternal life believed. The word of the Lord spread through the whole region. But the Jewish leaders incited the God-fearing women of high standing and the leading men of the city. They stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and expelled them from their region. So they shook the dust off their feet as a warning to them and went to Iconium. And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. So when Paul first preached about Jesus in that city, the people were uh, fascinated by his message, and it sounds like some of them were already beginning to believe. And they asked him uh, at first to, uh, to, to come back and, and speak on this again on the next Sabbath. So they responded at first with a lot of interest. But then on the second Sabbath, as people came from all over the city to hear about Jesus, 
The Jews, you know, they probably never had a crowd like that at synagogue before. They became jealous and they opposed Paul's message. But the Gentiles, hearing that the message of Jesus was for them as much as it was for Jews, were glad and many of them believed and were saved. And then over some span of time, the message of Jesus spread across the whole region. We don't know how long that took. It might have been weeks or months. And it became so influential that the local Jewish leaders stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas, so much so that Paul and Barnabas had to leave and go to another city. They left behind a very young church. The new believers who were left behind when they saw and probably experienced this persecution, they likely had every reason to be upset, frustrated, discouraged. Persecution is hard to bear. They may have been angry with God. Why would you let this happen? They were probably angry with some of their neighbors who were, who were persecuting them. But instead of being upset, frustrated, discouraged, Luke says in verse 52, they were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. They were filled with joy. And that's what caught my attention when I read this story this week. That very last line. Here they've just suffered persecution. Their teachers, Paul and Barnabas, have been driven out of the city. And yet they were filled with joy. And, and I want to know, how can I bring the joy of the gospel to these friends I love who need Jesus? And what was it that brought so much joy to 600 new believers in Springfield, Missouri and those two new churches in their parent church? What is it about the good news of Jesus that touches people's hearts and that fills us with such joy? Well, I think Paul expressed it well. It's God. It's simply God. God promised. God fulfilled. And God chose all of us, Jews and Gentiles, to share in that promise. doesn't matter where you come from. doesn't matter what kind of people you're from, what language you speak, what you look like, what you smell like. It's for everyone the promise that God has brought to us through Jesus. What is his promise? It's forgiveness of sins, reconciliation with God, being welcomed into God's family, becoming a citizen in God's kingdom, enjoying and growing in the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives, having real hope for life beyond this life, looking forward to life renewed in the presence of God, our Creator, and Jesus, our Savior, forever. God's promise is hope for today and hope for tomorrow. God's promise is community with God and with his church. God's promise is purpose in life and blessing as we believe and respond in obedient faith. God. God and his promise now fulfilled and offered to us whom he has chosen because he loves us. This is what gives us so much joy. And that's the message that we need to hold on to so that we can keep our joy constantly refreshed and not become discouraged. We're going to have sad days. We're going to be sick sometimes. We're going to be frustrated sometimes. We're going to be brokenhearted sometimes. We're going to be angry sometimes. And yet this joy keeps coming back. 
to refresh us again and again. And this is the message we need to share with our loved ones and our dear friends who need Jesus so they can share in our hope and our joy in the good news of Jesus. This message changed the course of human history, just as God intended. And it brought over 600 new believers to Christ in Springfield, Missouri, these last 20 or so years. And it keeps you and me fully devoted to God every day. And it is going to give our neighbors and our friends and our loved ones hope and purpose and great joy in the Lord as they come to believe this message. God, who chose us to receive the benefits of his promise now fulfilled in Jesus. God, who created us, loves us, desires us, gave his son for us, and wants to enjoy eternity with us. God. May God, who has done great things for us, fill us with such joy in the good news of Jesus that it will just spill over into the lives of the people all around us so that they too may share in it both now and forever. And may God bless you today. Let's pray together. Father, as we process what we've been hearing from the scriptures this morning, and as we think of you and the great things you have done, how you promised to bless the world through Abraham and his descendants, how you did that through Israel and all the more through Jesus, And how now you offer the benefits of that promise to all of us here today and all of our neighbors and friends and loved ones around the community and around the country and around the world. Lord, as we think of this, we honor you. You are so good to us. Thank you for your great love. Thank you for not giving up on us when we've sinned against you, when we failed you, turned away from you. But thank you for calling us back to yourself. Thank you for Jesus who went where he did not want to go and did it for us who showed such incredible courage, uh, not only on the day that he was crucified, but on the days leading up to then as well, and who now sits enthroned, highly exalted, as we sang earlier, uh, at your right hand. Lord God, fill us with the joy of the good news of Jesus. Remind us daily of your promise, now fulfilled, now uh, a promise in which we share and from which we benefit every day. Fill us, Lord, with the good news of that promise and its joy so that we may share it with the people around us. Give us the words to say to them. Uh, Give us conduct that backs up those words and that points people to your excellence. Father, we praise you. Bless your church. Help us, like that, that Sunset Church in Springfield, Missouri, help us in whatever ways you have in mind to be a light to people who are lost in this community, that they may be drawn to Jesus. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.